Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome back to Inside Arsenal, where I'm joined once again by James Benj, which can mean it is one time and one time only, and that is Inside Arsenal Extra Time. How are you doing, James? How's the week gone, mate? I'm very well, Charles. The week has been um, joyous. Champions League is back. I mean, not, not the Champions League I know that a lot of our viewers will care about, but we've got a chance to see some of the other contenders in action, and it... it um, well, it looks like what we knew, didn't it? Man City yeah. or something special, but... Copenhagen is great. really... It's really exciting to to know that Arsenal are back in Champions League knockout round, and that it's not it might not be humiliating. Yeah, hopefully it's not going to be a five one defeat, which was the uh, the last time. That was my first ever, my first and only Champions League away game covering Arsenal was Bayern Munich five one. I so I was at the Standard then. I didn't do the away leg, um, nor did, but I did get to do the home game. I didn't know at the time, but I had a choice between the Bayern Champions League game or Lincoln in the FA Cup, which was the following day, the follow, following, uh, sort of the weekend, mm-hmm. following game. I, I really pulled the short straw there by getting um, the home game, which I also remember as the first big Wenger out March, not protest, March yeah. from Highbury, uh, the day that Arsene Wenger was compared to, to Robert Mugabe. I mean, I suspect if I go on Twitter now, I can find people saying the same things about Mikel Arteta. All other dictators probably being updated. I do remember that, the Robert Mugabe <laughs> one. Yeah, that was uh, that was pretty wild. Yeah, 5-1, that was pretty miserable. I don't think it's going to be that this time around, and I can't wait. It's a bit annoying. We've got to wait in a, a, a week to get into it. But um, yeah, it was kind of much of a muchness yesterday, wasn't it? Man City winning, Real Madrid winning. Uh, although Madrid didn't have it all their own way, did they? They had to... Um, you know, could easily that could have easily gone the other way that that game. Judging by um the sort of highlights that I saw of it, I watched most of the Man City game, and yeah, I mean that was that was as comfortable as you uh, as you really get for Man City. So uh, certainly no slip ups from them. 
Although it's a nice, nice little reminder for, with that Edison pass that Arsenal aren't the only elite key, elite team capable of pretty much kicking the ball in their own net. No, no, no. I think as fans, I think you kind of feel like your team is the only team that does stuff like that. But mm. it is, I mean, you see it pretty often, especially in the way goalkeepers have to play now. It, it does happen an awful lot. But brilliant finish that. Because I, I didn't see that goal, actually. Um, initially, I didn't see it live. I turned it on and it was 1-1. And the commentator was saying, oh, after, you know, Copenhagen have literally been handed a goal by Manchester City. And so I, I figured mm. something, you know, Matt, like Martinelli against Liverpool had happened. Um, and then I saw it. And yeah, it was a mistake by Edison, obviously. But I didn't think that did the, the finish any sort of justice <laughs> whatsoever. Because that was a brilliant finish. Absolutely fantastic it was. He still had a lot to do when that ball broke for him. On his debut. Yeah, it was David's yeah. I mean, it was I mean that was pretty much the only way they were going to score. But it's just a reminder that sort of City can be their own worst enemies. And actually, you know, even that City team was like at full for for about 20 minutes was at full its full most terrifying self. And Copenhagen kind of were in the game until in the tie until the 93rd minute. So yeah. But like, you know. Let's not get carried away. No. Away games in Champions League, you just, you just got to get get through. Aren't they? They're mm. always tough. In, in any sort of competition, not even in Champions League, and we saw it enough of Arsenal in Europa League, any time you go away, it doesn't matter where you're going, who you're playing against, you, you're going to struggle. It's not going to be easy. You've got to grind out wins and you've got to, um, yeah, just set yourself up for the home leg. And I think that's what Arsenal are going to have to do next week against Porto. Are you, are you going, Porto? No. The, the challenge of CBS having all these European employees is there's always someone nearby. Um I, and also, I mean, I have to say, like on that, like you say, on that point of your uh, the, the European away games. If this had been the other way around, the Dragao second leg would be a really, really sort of scary thing, you know, with Porto's ability to to drive opponents to distraction. I mean, it's going to be hard enough as the first leg, mm. but at least if anything goes wrong, you kind of have the Emirates to help you out in the second. I, I mean. I feel like Arsenal should get through quite comfortably. I don't, I'm going to do a lot of we, predictions on this yeah. show. We did say that about Sporting Lisbon last season, yeah. though, in exactly. exactly the same. First leg away, second leg at home. You got the Emirates to sort of fall back on, um, and it didn't quite work out that way. And so I think that was a reminder for everyone who thinks this is going to be an absolute walk in the park. Just think back to Sporting Lisbon last uh, last season. It's it's not going to be that. I'm going to be going next week. I go on Tuesday. I don't know when we're going to record. I'm just thinking on the top of my head now, how are we going to squeeze an inside Arsenal extra time in next week? Because I get back, I go on mm. Tuesday, obviously game on Wednesday, and then I'm flying back via Madrid on Thursday. So it's going to be a struggle. It might have to be a Friday next next week. We'll have to work, have to work that out. But very much looking forward to heading over there. Although weather-wise, it looks like it's absolutely hammering it down on, <sighs> on match day at the moment. Because it's going to be hammering it down, which is not what you want when you're going to Portugal. Hammering it down. I mean, I, I remember it wasn't the last time Arsenal were in Portugal. It was the last time I was in Portugal with Arsenal. Um, hammering it down. Vittorio Guimarães, one of the weirdest champions. Uh, Europa League away days I, I ever did. Uh, that was the one where Xhaka got stripped of the captaincy. Mustafi scored in the driving rain. and was all like, oh, I can hear you. You know, I mean, that, you Arsenal have to was, say. Arsenal was in the last minute equaliser, didn't they? They did. It was that yeah. time of year. Oh, glory days. Oh, I, I, there's a great piece in the Athletic if you dig it out. Jack Lang's match report, which sort of lists all these things. You know that it's raining. That you know Gimaraes is not the most uh, beautiful of thingy cities. It just ends with, and it's my birthday today. 
<laughs> I didn't make that trip, but I, I people still talk about how bad that trip was and how miserable it was in the game, yeah. like one of the worst games we've seen. Yeah, hopefully it's going to be a lot more better, and I'm sure it will be. And I imagine the atmosphere. I'm really looking forward to it going there for, like you said, the drag out on a Champions League night and the knockout rounds. It should be um, it should be quite the atmosphere. So really looking forward to that. Obviously got a game against Burnley before that, um, coming up on Saturday, isn't it? Yeah, it's Saturday. Saturday, three o'clock. Yeah, long trip up to um uh, to Turf Moor for that one. Before we move on to that, should we quickly just talk about um Saturday, Sunday, sorry, West Ham. <laughs> we were both there for that one. It was um yeah, it was quite a day. <laughs> We've got, we got to say, a lot of I've said this before, a lot of West Ham fans get stick or getting stick for leaving early. Do it. More fans need to leave grounds early because I know you had a long journey back. I had to go from East London to South West. Beautiful. Smooth sailing, getting home all that way. I did, hardly saw a West Ham fan. It was wonderful. So, look, you know, Burnley fans, who's next at the Emirates? Brentford fans, Newcastle fans. If you want to pop off early, be my guest. Oh, it was great. It was. What a game. Um, it made me laugh. When, when Declan Rice scored... So I was sitting, I was literally sitting, I was the last seat in the press box. So I was right basically on with the fans. And when, when Rice scored, all the fans around me literally just started laughing. You know, by that <laughs> point, it got so bad that they were just like, of course that's going to happen. Declan mm. Rice is going to ba- bang on in from 30 yards into the top corner. And yeah, the ones that had stayed, they saw, they kind of saw the funny side of that. Uh, I thought it was, um, yeah, it was, I mean, Arsenal brilliant, weren't they? It was exactly what you wanted. I and mean, we were sitting down in the press room before the game talking about it. I don't think any of us would have ever predicted something like that was was going to happen. They were just, I mean, West Ham were bad. They were terrible. But, you know, Arsenal made them look terrible as well, I think. Um, it, it, you can always kind of fall fall into the into the sort of danger zone of just looking at how bad a team were when a result like that happens. But I think you've also got to look at what Arsenal did well. And they did a lot of things well in that game. And they they just beat, beat West Ham down. It was, a, it was a really good performance. And kind of you, you, you sense there is momentum building now don't you, that you had the kind of building blocks of the first two wins when they came back from Dubai and then you had the Liverpool one, which felt like a bit of a takeoff type moment. And then all eyes are on this one at the weekend, wasn't it? It's like, what what do you do? How do you follow up that win against Liverpool? What are they going to do? Are they going to Arsenal it? <laughs> as a lot of people were looking at, you know, drop points, do something stupid, or are they going to build on it? And they, yeah, they really, really did build on it. It feels like a really good moment for Arsenal. I think probably by this stage last season, we were already talking about, oh, you know, the defence, even before Saliba went down, it has to be said, because we all say, oh, it was Saliba and Tommy Asu. Mm. But even before then, we were sort of saying, oh, yeah, the defence isn't quite what it was before the World Cup and oh, players are looking a bit tired and a bit heavy-legged because of the World Cup quite often. And now it just it feels like things are clicking into gear. There's so many little little bits you could pick out of that game. Trossard and and Havertz and Erdegaard almost all interchanging in that front front the central front three in the line of five. Ben White, one of the first games in a long while where he inverted, and I think that just really opens up these opportunities for Arsenal because White inverting meant Saka got much more like one on one joy against his fullback. Mm-hmm. And beyond all that. You know, Urien Timbers on the road to recovery. Emil Smith Rowe, he probably won't be available this weekend. Um, but it's not, you know, it's a it's a one to two week injury. Mm. You know, the squad's okay. 
Fabio Vieira could be back next week. Fabio Vieira back soon. Um, yeah, it's it feels like that that it, it, it's becoming easier to see options for Mikel Arteta. Whereas I feel like we were at the very least on the cusp of the moment around this stage last season where everything was narrowing down and it was like, you've got to keep these 13, 14 players fit. I think now Arteta could, you know, be going into the critical stage of the season with 16, 17, 18 that he trusts. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of feel like they could be peaking just at the right time, which like you said, wasn't really happening last season. They were kind of beginning to hang on. We were having the games like this is the sort of period where Bournemouth and Villa started happening where you're, Mm. Kind of just get it, getting through, and like you said, the goals were going in, starting to go in at the other end, even with Saliba there. Um, interestingly, at this point, at 24 games this stage last season to what we're at now, 24 games this stage this season, Arsenal have scored more goals this season than they did it by the uh, by after 24 games last season. They've conceded less, they do have less points, they have two less points, I think, or maybe four less right. points than they did last season, but they've scored more. Which is mad when you think of the problems Arsenal have had in attack so far this season. And when, you know, last season, everyone said they were flying going forward, uh, but they've conceded less as well. Um, it's been a very different season, but when you kind of look at it like that, you can kind of, yeah, it's um, it's it's still on the same sort of trajectory as we saw. Can I give um, you my numbers, nerds? Just one quick one. Mm-hmm. Expected goal difference. I mean, they were, and, and goal difference now as well. It's worth saying that that 6-0 win massively boosted Arsenal's goal difference. And goals, goal difference, they're all more predictive of future results at this stage of a season than points. But expected goal difference, I know you hate it, but I'm going I'm to, some of our viewers might like it. Uh, Liverpool, obviously third if you rank them, the, the Premier League by that, 22.98. So they've got an XG of 52, XG against of nearly 30 which we saw against Brett Burnley. City, 23.7, 23.8 XG difference. Arsenal, 30.7. Like, I mean, we all, when we come to do, you know, do our predictions and talk about who we think is going to win the league, I think we all think it's City's to win. But right now, like, the advanced numbers say Arsenal are the best team in the league by a long way. I don't know if I fully agree with that. But, like, I have to look at that and say, like, you now have to make the case for why Arsenal aren't the best team in the league. Uh, Sterling yeah. Haaland and De Bruyne, but, you know. Well, they're incredibly hard to play against, aren't they? I mean, they've conceded two mm. shots on target in the last game, in the last two games against Liverpool and West Ham, haven't they? Um, so And against Man City at home, the time they played City at home, they, they conceded one shot on target in that game as well. So they are off the ball. Defensively, they're incredibly difficult to play against. And it's going to be interesting to see if they can sort of continue that. Um, in the next 14 games because there's some big, big games to come. Um, we're going to do... Let me just bring the lead table up now. This is what we're looking at. This is where we are so far this season. So we've got Liverpool top, two points clear of City. You have a game in hand. Arsenal and City level on 52 points. Goal difference. Look at that. Arsenal, what, since Dubai scored, what is it, 16 goals conceded two in those four matches? I mean, they have absolutely just made that gap disappear goal difference wise which could be absolutely huge come the end of the season are we are we taking Tottenham off that is it, is it are we in definite three horse race title race here yeah we are okay I think I, I mean I, I mean, got, like got it when they're at home and Arsenal at home and they've got all their players back they've got the strongest squad they've had all season right now I think it's doubtful, but is it? I think is it too early? I mean, I'm going to do it because what we're going to talk about next. I'm just looking at three teams, but um, <laughs> if yeah, I, I feel like they they, they need to be a couple of more points behind to mm. totally write them off and out of it. But 
Yeah. So that's where that's the stage we're looking at. Now, what we're going to do now, we're going to predict Arsenal's results between now and the end of the season. We're going to come up with what sort of points target Arteta is going to want. I mean, he has actually said already, Arteta, I got the quote here. He said this was in December. He said, do I have a target? Yes. 96 to 100. I think you win the league. That is the cushion. I think he's absolutely bang on. I think if you get 96 to 100 points, you definitely win the league this season. Um, uh, I hate to break it to him. <laughs> exactly. Well, Manchester City now, if they win every single game between now and the end of the season, they get 97. Arsenal's max is 94 and Liverpool can get 96. So Arsenal can't even get the target anymore that Arteta wants, even if they're in every single game between now and the end of the season. Um, I disagree so, with him a bit, to be fair. I, I do. All season long, I think I've been saying 90 points wins you the title. Mm. I'm beginning to think maybe that might not be the case, just because I'm looking at City and what they're doing at the moment and thinking, hmm. But I, I'm still going to stick with that. I still think anything above 90 points is going to win you. Will, mm. will probably win you the title, but it might be like 92. I don't know. Um, so what we're going to do now, we're going to predict Arsenal's results between now and the end of the season. You don't or, like this, do you? Or, no, I'm not. Pre- yeah, I hate it. This is, goes against every single superstitious bone I have in my body. And there's a lot of superstitious bones in my body. But we're going we're gonna to go through and kind of say what we think Arsenal might well do between now and the end of the season. Which so I'm doing as we record. <laughs> Even that was my idea. These are Arsenal's remaining fixtures now. So, Burnley, obviously, the first one on Saturday. Big game. Arsenal. If Arsenal win, it'll be five wins on the trot in the Premier League. You know, I, I would I would be saying victory, a win in this game. I mean, if you want to win the title, you've got to go and beat Burnley. You can't be, you can't be dropping points against Burnley on Saturday. And, um, and I think Arsenal win this game. Are you agreeing? 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, 90%. Because I think fact, Burnley so, have like a 10% chance. Look at that. Before we, instead of going game to game, I mean, look at that period they've got coming up now. So it's Burnley away, Newcastle home, Sheffield United away, Brentford home, Chelsea home before the big game against Manchester City. Do Arsenal win all five of those games before Manchester City? Yes. Yeah, I've got them down. I've got them down for winning. So that would mean that Arsenal would have won, if they get to Man City, and that's right, if we're correct, that means Arsenal would have won nine league games on the spin going into the Etihad. That's what you have to do to win the Premier League title, isn't it? I mean, we sort of forget that. I don't know if you could kind of block out a sort of selection of nine games, but how many points did Arsenal drop before the World Cup in a period of 12? They did, they must, didn't they do nine wins, two draws, and a defeat? They lost at Man United, didn't they? Um, I don't know. Southampton and Leeds, they dropped points. Yeah, they drew at Southampton. No, they beat beat Leeds, they didn't drop points. It was Southampton. Yes, they drop points at Leeds. it was the winner. It was the loss at Man United and the draw at Southampton. Those are the only points they dropped between the uh, before the World Cup. So you know, that's it. I mean, that, that's a team then that can win ten of twelve. That team improved, which I think this season's is can can definitely win a relatively favourable set of nine games. Yeah, I mean, there's some tricky ones. Brentford never easy. Chelsea, mm. you don't know what you're going to get with Chelsea, really. Um, and Newcastle, obviously, difficult team to play against. We've seen we've already beaten Arsenal this season. But yeah, I'd, I'd you know, the, I think five, I think five wins from five is far from beyond the realms of possibility. Then that's exactly what Arsenal need to be targeting before that game against Manchester City. Any worries about Chelsea? 
Not really. I mean, they, Arsenal should, but they're a better team than Chelsea. The miles better mm. than Chelsea, but I mean, Chelsea got some really good players. They can, like, you, they could easily turn up and win that game. You know, I mean, Chelsea against the Etihad this weekend, aren't they? And it's still a game, despite all everything that Chelsea have got, gone through. It's still a game I'm looking at, thinking, oh, is there a chance there? You know, <laughs> my mind cast goes back to Anfield just about a week ago when they went up there, and I had the exact same feeling. And Liverpool played them off the park and smashed yeah. them. Um, but there are it signs, I don't know, there are a few signs that Chelsea are beginning to get it going a little bit, that they're not absolutely terrible. And like I said, they've got some good players, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Home to Chelsea, Arsenal should be winning that game 100%, especially the game before the Etihad. You've got to be, you've got to be winning. So I'm going five wins from five for that period. And you and are as well. This, yeah. And then there's a fortnight to just throw up in your mouth every time you think about the trip oh, to the God, Etihad. I didn't realise. Is that, is that, is that international, international break? International break. Yeah. Oh. God, so we're going to have to be panicking before the Etihad had about everyone being away on international oh, duty. I didn't even <laughs> clock that until now. Right. That's awful time. Arsenal fans, you know what to do with whatever flight the, the three Gabriels get on to Brazil. You know what, I mean, don't actually, like, you know, but do. Don't, don't, don't do anything to stop that plane taking off. But if you do, make sure it does not take off. Like, no half measures. Don't do it or do it. I don't want any Gabriels in Brazil. That's genuinely really worried me. Worried me now. I'm thinking about that already. That that who who's Spain got? Who's Rodri going to be up against? I bet he's going to have an Arsenal player. He's up against. Isn't, he? <laughs> isn't this the game. start of the Nations League in, in Europe? So it's all out. hugely important games. Spain will be playing. Oh, brilliant! What? Why did you have to say that? Spain will be playing Brazil. They're not. They are on the 26th of March. You're kidding. Are they really? I swear to God, if any if any Brazilian Arsenal players are on the pitch at the same time as Rodri, I'm going to have to hide behind my sofa. I honestly thought you were joking when you said that. No. Is that that's genuinely true. It's Spain versus Brazil. I'm now quite worried about who yeah. Declan Rice will be playing. Oh, Declan, well, England are playing Brazil just beforehand as well. So what Declan could do is sort of run around just a few like niggly injuries on all his teammates that will s- sideline them for about three days. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully Richarlison will start that game for Brazil anyway against Spain. Yeah. And, um, I've always liked him. Always. Yeah. You know, Vinicius rather than Martinelli. Um, so, right now let's talk about Man City on the 31st. And what have you gone for in that game? I've gone for a loss. I, I've, I, gone, for, I, I've yeah. gone for a loss as well. The only one, my only worry here, and I did have draw, and I've gone, I've gone for a loss. Um, but if Arsenal lose that game, can they still realistically win the title? Do you think it's really tough? Then I'm going to look at. I mean, City will will probably drop points elsewhere. I mean, City, bear in mind, City and Liverpool have got to play each other again. Yeah. You know, City have united fairly on March the third, and they have Liverpool well. then on the tenth. So, I mean, their build, you know, I, I, I think City could very easily just win every game left in the Premier League. I think that's like a, or not very easily, but that's a scenario you have to consider. But mm. if I give you their fixtures, there's a Copenhagen game between United on the third, Liverpool on the 10th away, Brighton away on the 17th, which, and then it's Arsenal. Like mm-hmm. you can absolutely tell me that 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 City get four points from that, and I wouldn't doubt you at all. 
So it would be really hard to win the title if you don't if you drop points at the Etihad, but it would still just be even. It would be, you know, the other 36 games will decide Arsenal's fate. I think the worry yeah. is that that includes games against Fulham. Uh, but what can you do? See, I have gone for a loss in that game, but I could easily see this Arsenal team going up there and, you know, putting in a real title-winning performance, you know, just being really difficult to beat, you know, really standing up to Manchester City. They've done so well in using past defeats to sort of get them going for games. We saw it even at West Ham at the weekend, you know, and Mikel said afterwards the players felt it, it was time to beat West Ham. They were using the pain of what had gone on recently and what happened last season. And they used it to sort of inspire him in that win. And we've seen it against even the game at Nottingham Forest before that. They were thinking back to last season. We've seen them do it plenty of times. And you know, they'll be hurting from what happened at that game at the Etihad last season. And I'm sure Mikel will use that as motivation in the build-up to the game. You know, I look at the likes of Declan Rice and Gabriel and Saliba, players like that, you know, even Saka, I can just imagine them going up to the Etihad and being, we have got to turn it on, you know, this is this is what it's all about. And it could be the moment that really, you know, Arsenal stand up and make everyone finally yeah. start, start believing. So I've put it down as a loss because realistically, you go to the Etihad, you tend to lose. And I'm not talking about Arsenal, I'm talking about any team in world football. But having said that, I could, I, I feel far more confident with this Arsenal team that they could go there and get a result and show that they're good enough to get a result as well. Um, so, yeah. If you're Mikel Arteta, are you attempted at any stage to just think about it in view, like to almost take the big picture and think, we'll play for nil-nil here if we have to. I just, I don't know. I mean, that's so far off, isn't it? There's so many specifics you could go through. But, I mean, yeah. if you gave him nil-nil now, I bet he would take it. Oh, absolutely. You offer anyone a draw there, they would take it. Um, yeah, 100%. And yeah, I think they've shown already, you know, two games against Man City so far this season, not not lost, you know, technically won both, although one was on a penalty shootout. Um, and so they, they won't be scared going up against City, I don't think. But um, I mean, after that, it's Luton at home. You think that's a home banker, three points, you would you would hope. I've actually gone for a draw at Brighton in my predictions. I've I, think, I think Arsenal have worked Brighton out. You think? Mm, I think they really got them. I, I mean, I was—I initially had it as a draw, but I, and I don't think Brighton are what they were, much like Moises Caicedo. But I, and I think that game—I think that game is one of the three or four. I think where the title challenge pivots. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think Arsenal are very good at just sort of refusing to press Brighton if they don't need to, and when they do press, they press really well in the home game. And uh, yeah. I just don't think Brighton are quite the force they, they were. But Falmer's not an easy place to go, either no. to travel there or to win. No. See, I've gone a draw there, and then I've gone to win every single game apart from I've gone to draw at Spurs as well. Right. I, I did go for a draw at Spurs. I, I had one more game that, that I think Arsenal might draw. Subject what? to an awful lot of things including the outcome of an appeal to the Premier League. Uh, I, I think Everton might still be fighting for survival on the final day. Uh, and I think they might get a point if they need it. Let's ignore on the final day. day? Do you need to get the door? Nah, I'd be fine. Yeah, They'll leave it. I, if Arsenal need something from the final day and they draw a home to Everton, then they don't deserve to win the title. <laughs> I know. They deserve to win the title. Um, and the way I've worked it out means that, like, the fight it could be decided on the final day. 
can't well, certainly like no, the 90 point target could this will probably get clipped up and come back to haunt me but if Arsenal need to win to win the title on the final day of the season they are not dropping points against Everton I'm absolutely convinced so the way I've done it then with those I've gone I've basically gone win every single game apart from Man City which I've gone a loss at the Etihad and then I've gone a draw at Brighton and a draw at Spurs and that gives Arsenal 87 points it's I've, done, I've done the same thing as you and got 88 points have I done something wrong there Oh, maybe I have my. I've got terrible. two draws and a loss. Yeah, I've gone two draws and a loss, haven't I? How I many? So that's ooh, that's thirteen wins. Is forty? Is thirty? Thirteen wins is thirty nine. What am I doing here? Thirteen wins is thirty nine. Live maths here. To and it's then thirteen wins is it? Wait a minute. No, it's not. It's eleven wins. It's thirty three, and then two draws we've each got. Makes 35 plus 52 makes 87. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'm so right. I was right. Yes, so I was right. There you go. This is I great. Believe, audio, this. I can't believe I've just been proven to be cleverer than you like on a in live recording. It's fantastic. Might have to hand out one of my master's degrees. 87 points I've gone for, and you've gone for in two different ways. Um, would that be enough to win the title? No. No, but it does sort of show, doesn't it, that if they, if I think if you win at City, then not only do you get to ninety, but you pop, you make City's path to ninety quite hard. Yeah, it's interesting yeah. that we almost aren't even thinking about Liverpool. And actually, I, I have to say, I just look at the defense. I don't know if you even. I've got look. I mean, what these are Liverpool's fixtures and Man City. So Man City's mm. there on the left, Liverpool's on the right. I actually think Liverpool got the easier running of anyone between now and the end of the season. I just think they're not as good. But I, they could be 90 points good enough. Just. But, you know, I think Liverpool are a team that could drop more points against your Fulham's. I mean, Fulham specifically is not the greatest example. Your Palaces, maybe Spurs and Villa away. I do agree with you. It's an easier run. And like, I think when you step back and look at, what City have got left to do. Is there a top side that they've played twice on that list? I don't I don't see any, you know, and may and, and the brilliant thing about Pep Guardiola's team is they make top sides look like top half sides and they steamroller the rest. But they don't have many many of the hard games done in the same way that Arsenal could be like, right, we've got four points from Liverpool. We don't need to think about them again this season. Yeah, I mean, Liverpool City's coming up, actually. It's only about, it's four games away now. Um, and City have got United just before that. So they've got the, they've got the Manchester derby and then they go to Anfield in successive, in, in the space of a week, which is, uh, yeah, that'll be, that is certainly going to be interesting. Yeah, so I do, I'm not sure I share your confidence thing. about Liverpool. I, I think Liverpool with Salah back with the whole Klopp emotion, emotional journey that they're going to be on. I am, you know, I think Liverpool are going to be, are going to be right there. As well, I don't see you them know, dropping too many points. There's one thing I'm certain of: April twentieth, as you know, is an, an auspicious date for me, and I know that Arsenal are going to do me a favour on my wedding day, easily beat Wolves, and I believe that Tottenham, who I've always said are a great club to cover, an excellent club with fantastic coaches, will really take on for me the mantle of of doing something special, and I believe that Spurs will hand me the greatest wedding present of all. 
and beat Man City. Better be on the 20th. Hopefully Fulham will do the job against Liverpool that day as well. Oh, come yeah. on. Like, we can't hope for miracles. The perfect, the perfect wedding. The perfect wedding day. So, yeah. So, we're going on 87 points, which certainly is below Mikel Arteta's, Mikel Arteta's points target. 87 points is quite below it. But, um, yeah. I mean, the City game is going to be crucial, isn't it? If Arsenal can go to the Etihad, like you said, and win, not, not, not only does that just suddenly boost that points total that we've both predicted, but it also knocks three points off Manchester City's points total as well. And, you know, it would just be such a monumental type victory. You know, when you think back to 98, Arsenal going out to Old Trafford, Ovemar's scoring 1-0 and, you know, the whole season turned on that game and suddenly Arsenal clawed United back in and and won it. And if you want to win titles, you need those are the sort of games ultimately you have to go and, and show up in and win and, and prove that you're good enough to win the title. So we can all see it and make our predictions, but obviously on the pitch, it's going to be where it all, where it all matters and the players are going to have to stand up. And I do feel, as I said, that this team... I ju- they just give me more confidence of what I'm seeing at the moment that they could go up there and mm. and really you know stand up and and show that they're ready to win this title now. Um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting oh. one. I'm almost more confident that you know Arsenal will push City close even if they don't win than I am. I just look, you know, it's the games you look at are the ones like don't bugger it up away to Sheffield United on Monday night. Yeah, because that's what they've done throughout this season, and it feels like they've they've flipped a bit of a switch here. Um, and I mean, hopefully, like you know, the other thing to do is that you know you need to envisage how this happens because Arsenal have like quite amazing opportunities to write themselves into history. By which I mean, they could win the league at Old Trafford. It might be too tight. They might have not given themselves the breathing space. But what a special thing it would be for Arsenal in their club history, if they could say they've won the league at the home of their biggest rivals twice at yeah, each ground. That would be nice, wouldn't it? And two at Spurs, two at United. be very nice. It would be very nice. <laughs> All right, you guys who've been watching or listening, if you want to get involved and have your say on those predictions and how you think the season's going to pan out, obviously let me know in the comments below. We're going to move on to some of your questions and comments now. Some of you guys get involved in the show. So let's move on to that part right now. First one. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's from... Uh... Deep Kundu, 2355, extra time. Hello, Charles and James. I think we all agree that Arsenal will look to sell Eddie and Reese in the summer transfer window. In your opinion, what fee should Arsenal accept? How do you see Arsenal replacing these squad players from the academy or in the transfer market? Love the show. Thanks. Um, all right, values for Eddie and Reese. What would you go? What do you think their market values will be from the summer? Uh, I take 
seven figures for Reese or eight figures for Reese. So anything over 10 million pounds, I think is probably the best you're going to get. Sorry. He's just, you know, he's quite well paid. And like, you know, if deep, deep Kundu knows this and you and I know this, then you can rest assured that every other club in the premier league and beyond knows that Arsenal would like to sort of cash in on, on Nelson and Ketty. I think you and I are a bit divergent. I mean, I, I know what they, you know, what I know what I think they would hope for. I'm not sure those offers will really turn up. And I think 20 million would be, I would oh, consider. They've got to be getting more than 20 fair. million. They've got to yeah, get more than 20 million for Eddie. Surely get more than 20 million for Eddie in the current market. And when you look at what other strikers are going for, I think you've got to get, you've got to be pushing always double that for me. Maybe not <laughs> double that, but certainly. 30 at a minimum, I would say, Freddie and Ketia, at a minimum. Do we really know for sure that he is a sort of starting striker for a Premier League team? No. I, I know he's done that. And that's the thing is, you know. How much did like Palace sign Edward for from Chet Celtic? Yeah, true. What was that? 20 yeah it was 20 something wasn't it or around that mark yeah and eddie's been around in the premier league for a long long time he scored goals in the premier league he's ready to i think it's a it is the perfect time for eddie to move on this summer from an arsenal point of view and from an eddie and ketchup point of view as well and he's gonna have to go and prove himself and yeah i get it that maybe there is the unknown quantity of whether he can do it as a leading striker for a club like i don't know a palace or a brighton or, or someone like that but I think there's always a, there's always that sort of question mark when you're making a sign-in, isn't there? Even when you're signing a top-top player, there's question marks about whether they're going to do it, whether they're mm. going to adapt to England. So you've got to take that all, all into account. But I, I just think if Arsenal... It, I think you've got to be looking for north of £30 million at, at the very minimum for Eddie and Ketty to come this summer. I agree with you with Reese, you know, 10 15 million That's the sort of price. But, you know, I think Arsenal should be... Ex- they should be getting <laughs> £30 million minimum for Eddie. The one thing I would want to add is, you know, when we talk about, say, an Edward or when, um, you know, say Nottingham Forest came to sell Awani, for instance, and that is picking a name entirely at random. That's, you know, that that's a, a stance where the selling clubs say, we really don't want to sell this player. We'd be more than happy to keep him. I think the challenge is going to be, and this comes to the, the second part of the question, how do you see Arsenal replacing these players? Well, Eddie Nketiah goes to sort of make space in the squad for someone a bit higher up the depth chart as a striker. And so the world and his wife know that Arsenal want the, don't have space for Nketiah really, and that they're kind of going to need to move him out. So I, you just don't get as competitive offers when everyone knows you want to sell versus when everyone sort of knows you would keep this player happily and, and, and play mm-hmm. along with them. So that's why I don't think. I think there will be a lot of outrage about Enketia, and I will be there going, "I was right." <laughs> yeah. How much? What was Balogun in the end? Thirty pushing thirty-five with add-ons, wasn't yeah. it? That, yeah. And that's the thing that makes me sort of question myself because they got a lot of money for Balogun, and I think yeah. Enketia is better than Balogun. Yeah, well, and he's proven it in the Premier League. You know, Balogun had never had never scored in the Premier League. Enketia certainly has. Um, so yeah, I'm sticking with my 30 million minimum, but <laughs> we shall see come the summer. In terms of how they're going to replace him, like yeah, I mean when you can replace Eddie, it's not a case of replacing Eddie, is it? It's, it's signing a, a a top top striker to compete with Gabriel Jesus, isn't it? And then you sort of 
you know almost you're you're almost replacing Eddie Nketiah with Gabriel Jesus aren't you that's mm. that's how you that's how you replace him um in terms of Reese no I think you go out and sign a uh, it's not an academy player who replaces Reese again I think that's where an area in the squad where you've really got to upgrade and 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 make the squad better and you go out and you sign a, a Pedro Neto or a or, or someone of that ilk um that's how I see you replacing those two players because that's where Arsenal have to if you're going to close the gap on Man City if you're really going to challenge mm. Man City that's where you close the gap isn't it it's when when you can turn your to your bench and you can bring off a Grealish and put on a Bernardo Silva or, or something like that. And that's what Arsenal can't do. And so I think that's what they need to do is to improve that bench. So you can just have 17, 18 players, which you can just pick and choose, mix and match by the game. And, and that's what they need to do to close the gap. So yeah, I'm not I, absolutely in the transfer market for me. Yeah. Inching towards that, that level, we should say. And I think if you added a winger and, um, you know, the new striker to the squad, I actually think Arsenal are, pretty much there and everything mm. from then on just becomes upgrade this position upgrade this position upgrade this position because the depth would be like you know you would have a four four wide options of martinelli saka crossard new winger like that's absolutely fine that's more yeah. than city have yeah and also you got you can add gabriel jesus into that if you sign yeah. a new striker as well you can add gabriel jesus into the mix of of a, a wide option as well so so, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, right. KPAFC says, for inside Arsenal Extra Times, Charles and James, I love your content and the podcast. The tone and the banter of both of you being level-headed guys. Level-headed guys. Top, top go. banter. Now we're nearing a few weeks where, fingers crossed, no new injuries. How should Mikel go about our 11s game to game? Would you rather play the same team with minimal changes to a few positions or picking a team based on how to manipulate opponents' weaknesses, e.g. Havertz, 9, Vieira, 10 or Timber? And Zinni right back, left back in home games against low block, maybe in party starting and Rice getting a rest on the bench of Odegaard and ESI in front. Essentially, I believe when fully fit, we have such quality players with such different and unique profiles that we can really help us gain an advantage against most opposition. So how should Mikel approach it? Um, it's tough. I, th- I think, yeah, like, I mean, as you, as he said there, if you get some of the players back and you get party back and you get Timber back and you can suddenly, you know, and Vieira as well, and you can suddenly become a lot more unpredictable in terms of how you're going to play and how you're going to set up. I think that's definitely going to boost Arsenal. I still think though, with Mikel, he will sort of veer towards his tried and tested best team come, uh, come most of the games, the kind of team that we know about, but he does have the option now of doing, no, I really liked the fact when that team came out against West Ham, mm. when we saw the team, actually it was before when we started to get word of what the team was before it got announced. I was like, oh no, he's playing Trossard as a left eight. And it really worried me. And then suddenly it dawned on me. It's like, oh no, hold on. It's going to be Havertz is playing there and Trossard's going to be a nine. And, it, and I was like, that's really good. I'm really happy with that. And that's what I want to see more, a little bit more from Mikel over these next few games is you can do that. You can change, you know, one time you can have Trossard there. You can have Havertz there. You can, you know, you could play Jesus out wide if needs be when he's back fit and keep Trossard as a nine at times because I love Trossard in that position. And there are options there for Mikel. So it would be nice to see him chop and change a bit. But I don't know, if, just for me personally, I kind of feel like he might just be play the tried and tested for a lot I, of the big games anyway. I think there might be sort of three or four spots in the team that are a little bit more, three actually, they're a little bit more fluid and almost from that, you know, that gives you endless possibilities. It's the, frankly, it's the centre forward. 
I wonder if this becomes untrue if Gabriel Jesus is fit and sharp. Left eight, um, I think we may I'm intrigued to see if we just ever see Partey this season, if it gets to that level of like form that makes Arteta question playing Jorginho. Um, but, you know, whether it's a Jorginho Rice, uh, Havertz Rice, all those sort of so many options there. And I think that position will change a lot. And I think within that and left back, maybe. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. we will see a huge amount of sort of stylistic change for Arsenal, but it's not actually that. It, it doesn't feel like an overarching, like we don't know how Arsenal are going to play, how they're going to attack. It's sort of tweaks in a few positions. I think if Declan Rice is, is fit, he will start every game. Erdegaard, Saka, Martinelli, yeah. the back three of the back four, Riot. You just price them in, I think. It's nice when you can throw a curveball in. Like West Ham would never have expected, I don't think, in the build-up to the game, what mm. Arsenal did against them at the weekend. And I saw your piece afterwards, and you know the question you fired at Mikel as well about that and how kind of interesting it was with those three just interchanging, basically almost as three tens at a time. Or mm. you know, one time you'd have Havertz as a nine, and Trossard would be there, Havertz would be out wide. It was so fluid. There was so much movement, and West Ham just they just looked absolutely beaten down by the end of it. They were just like, who's marking who? Where are we supposed <laughs> to go? And it was yeah, they. There was no way I don't think David Moyes expected Arsenal to do that. And it's nice when you can just rock up and suddenly spring a surprise on the team sheet and just leave the other team guessing. And and you're right, I think that left eight role is certainly one that's going to interchange between now and the end of the season if you know Arsenal even stick with that four three three formation. Um but yeah, depending on who they're up against, you could have a Vieira or Smith Rowe against a low block type thing, or you could see what we saw at the weekend. There is definitely variation there. And like you said, left back as well, that is a position that we could see change. It's going to be interesting if Timber comes back, you know, is he, is it unrealistic to even think he could, even if he's back, have much of an impact on this season? I think it probably might be, but um, it'd be nice to throw him into the mix. But I think it's probably a little bit unrealistic to think he's going to come back and and make a big, big impact. Um, This is one I wanted to ask for you. I thought you might, you might enjoy, enjoy this one. Um, a bit with your Champions League hat on. So if Girona, part of Man City's group, um, who own 40% of the club, playing the Champions League next season, isn't there a severe conflict of interest bringing competition into dispute? And it's not just that. I mean, it's Ineos as well, because Nice look like they're probably going to be in the Champions League. I think they're second in France at the moment, aren't they, with Nice? And they, Ineos, obviously, um, their sort of part takeover United's been ratified as we speak by the Premier League. Um, yeah, what, do, what, what are your thoughts on the whole multi-club ownership and the and the potential conflict of interest here in in top level competition it's rubbish it's um i it's it it sort of feels like you know late stage capitalism has forced football to just accept it as a way of the world but it is like dreary cynical i i don't i don't know i mean there is a conflict of interest specifically in the girona city case because they are both part of City Football Group. I think Nice and, and United, basically the way around it is Jim Ratcliffe as a private individual has a stake in Manchester United, which I think he wanted as a fan. And Ineos own Nice. So, yeah, there's, there's I mean, no even that is a pretty grey area, isn't it? <laughs> Very grey. <laughs> but what do you do? I mean, like RB Leipzig and Red Bull Salzburg play in the Champions League yeah. most years. The the, the the horse has, has bolted long ago. It very much annoys me that um, City, not not just that City get dibs on, on Savio at Girona. I don't watch a lot of La Liga football, but everyone says he's great. 
actually, it's almost the fact that everyone says like Man City are signing Girona, uh, Savio from Girona. They're not. They're signing him from Troyes. Yeah. Who are, correct me if I'm wrong, they're in the French second tier, but but wherever they are, they're not having a good season. And there's sort of this player who is obviously too, it would be the, the best player at, at Troyes by a country mile. So he's been shifted to Girona and he's the best player there by a country mile. So he just gets shifted to City. Um, and actually you sort of, you think like, you know, if you could, if I could sit down with Josh Cronkey and make a pitch to him, it would be, look, Josh, you need to go and buy a, a team in, like like Chelsea are doing, you need to go and buy a team in France, a team in Spain and do that because City have these advantages and United are going to have these advantages that set them so far ahead of, of everyone else. You know, they can park talented players at these clubs um wasn't it city had a, a i mean jan kuto the fullbacks at girona as well i think they've had other players come through girona into the first team it's rubbish it's not fair and no. you know it turns football into a financial arms race where even the son or even the husband of the uh walmart billionaire can't entirely compete with nation states picking up football clubs as and where they would they wish um i don't think it like I can't speak for you, for as to whether or not like they will stop one of those teams competing in the Champions League. It sort of seems like they've given up the fight on it, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely there's just no way it's not a conflict of interest. It's definitely a conflict of interest. It in a way does bring the competition into disrepute, but unfortunately, I don't. I just don't see any way that it's going to change. I just think the money talks at the end of the day, and they're not going to change it now. I mean, the Premier League. It's good that the Premier League is sort of tightened up. It just about got through. In terms of how, you yeah, know, they're, they're at least trying to regulate it a bit, how it's done and the the rules there in terms of you know deals between the clubs and stuff like that, and making sure that it's a fair market share from value for any sponsorship deals. But it is definitely a, a real conflict of interest. But unfortunately, One Nation nine five one zero, it's just modern football, isn't it? And it's uh, there's no real way around it. Uh, here's one from Vet Para who says, "Gentlemen, I really loved." both false, false nine performances from Havertz and Trossard in the last two games. When the false nine role is played well, it completely disarms the central defender from many of the attributes we associate with traditional good defending. I can't help but feel this could be the inverted fullback moment uh, for forwards who aren't absolutely prolific like Nketiah. Also, I think it would help both Havertz and Trossard's goal output when they start thinking themselves in forwards. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I really like the false nine. I think it works very well. I don't really see Nketiah as a false nine, though, I have to say. Um, I'm, I, he's not someone I have in my mind as a false nine. But I I do really like the position when it works, and it works well. Sometimes when it you try it and it doesn't work, you're left scratching your head. I see. I, I think back to... Who did a lot Arteta, of Gabriel Jesus games. Who did he's Arteta, a false nine. Did Arteta play Emil Smith-Rowe as a false nine? Yeah. At Man City away was that was that did he do that? He, I remember him playing it, it Villarreal. Villarreal, that was it. He did it at Villarreal. He played Willian as a false nine at Man City away. Do you remember? Straight after, straight after COVID, I think that was the first game after COVID. Willian was a it. false player, and there was yeah, there's games when it really doesn't work. But I do like it, and like Vet Paris said, I think the last two performances from Havertz against Liverpool and Trossard in particular, who I just think is fantastic in that role, false nine. I love him there. I think it's my favourite position for him. Um, I think he plays his best football in that position for Arsenal. And I think Arsenal play really well when he plays there as well. I think Martinelli and Saka really come alive when he plays there. And I think it is a position that is definitely going to be, um, well, it already is a huge part of the, uh, the modern game. 
and, and I think kind of more broadly, I know this is going to be sort of strange when we talk about City, but I think the sport is edging away from forwards who, like an Enketia, and the prime example of this is Dusan Vlavic, who, even though he scores quite a lot, Juventus seem pretty keen to get rid of. It's players that just score, like Enketia. I know he works hard on the other aspects, but he is really, really good at poaching out, sniffing out shots in the box and nothing else. And I think for a lot of teams, they conclude they can't carry that unless what you're giving is Erling Haaland numbers. You know, Nketia is, for a team like Arsenal, probably a goal every other game striker. If you said, we're going to play you for 38, maybe even less than that. You know, 15 Premier League goals if we started in 38 games. You've got to give more. And like, you know, Havertz, Trossard, they might be, if you gave them 38 games, they might be in the sort of 10, 11, 12. But that'll be offset with six assists. And I think that's where Arteta's kind of always viewed this role because Jesus was a false nine. I think Jesus tends to drift more wide than what Havertz and Trossard have been very good at at moving into the centre to give Arsenal a bit more control there. And I think that's so effective when you've then still got Martinelli and uh, Saka mm. attacking on the wings. It, it really intrigues me then with what we're looking for for the next Arsenal centre forward. I mean, you know, an Ossiman who we know they look, look at, I think the question there is, is the output here like Haaland, Kane? Well, not, is, that, is it Haaland level output? That's no. fine. We can rejig our team around that. If it's not, he's got to do other things. He he does do other things. But Osman doesn't. Nothing that I've seen of Osman, and I think Osman looks really good. Um, mm. I think he's a good player, but nothing I've seen of Osman suggests he's going to come in and it's going to be early in the Haaland numbers at, uh, at Arsenal um, at all. And same for someone like Ivan Tony. If it's if it's Ivan Tony, and we don't know who it's going to be, but you know, I I. I <laughs> You can't think that the next Arsenal striker signing is going to be is going to deliver Haaland numbers because I think there's only one player yeah, on this planet who delivers those sort of numbers. Unfortunately, that is Haaland. Um, it, it, like you, I'm I'm intrigued. I think it's really interesting what they're going to do when it comes to signing a striker. You know, will it be one of the names that is consistently mentioned, i.e., Tony Osman? Will they go down a completely different route um, and just try something? And yeah, it's, I'm I'm really interested to see what they're going to do. They've kept their cards so close to their chest on this one. Mm. I think there was a sort of there was a frustration when you know we'd heard or I'd heard sort of rice stuff burbling for a lot of that season, and I know that's quite soon after January. The guys at the Athletic broke it, or was it Gary Jacob? But you know, a few people broke it, and it was sort of like you know. They couldn't deny it, and it it all made too much sense. And you know, he was the obvious guy to go and get. But I think one, there's not that Rice sort of signing out there for striker. But Arsenal, I think, are really conscious that they don't want another Rice situation where at this stage of the season, everyone knows who they want to go out and get at centre forward in the summer, and mm-hmm. everyone starts doing their due diligence. And Man City go, oh yeah, we could have him too. Yeah, and it's it's just one of those ones that you get. When you sign a striker, I mean, it's the same in any sort of signing, isn't it? But you've got to try and get it right. And obviously you want to get every transfer right. But when you spend big money on a striker, it's so important that it works, mm. isn't it? It is absolutely essential that it works. And um, yeah, it's it's a huge, it's going to be a huge summer for Arsenal in terms of what they do and how they improve their squad. Um, 
Kenjis, is that Kenjis? I think it is. Uh, says yeah. time. How come do you think Arteta decided not to invert Ben White earlier with Tierney there? It could have been an option that would have allowed him to continue on as a normal fullback. Of course, Ben White inverted definitely played much more of an inverted role at the weekend. I mean, it's something he could have always done. Ben White is such a good player, technically so gifted, um, such a clever player as well. He can, you know, he could easily have played that role. But um, I can't really answer why he hasn't done it earlier. Yes. I think just because basically Zinchenko's been there and. If you're going to invert one of your fullbacks, it's going to be Zinchenko, really. Um, and Ben White is very, very good at getting on the overlap and and, and doing what he did last season with Bukayo Saka. I did. I thought Ben White was excellent against West Ham, by the way. I think it was really, really good. Um, yeah, I mean, do you think there's any reason why he's not really used that that option much earlier than he has now? I had a theory. Thomas Partey really likes being on the right side of midfield, mm-hmm. and actually, I don't. Th- I, I I think Declan Rice probably is a little more sort of like gravitates to the left he he often played like sort of on the left of a double pivot for West Ham when he was in midfield I mean that's a sort of a theory I, I don't know if that's true I might sort of dig around and find out if I can confirm that um but yeah like I mean and maybe it's also just like Kieran Tierney wasn't great at inverting Jakob Kivior just looked like a centre-back playing left-back, playing an exceptionally complicated version of being a left-back. It just looked like it was beyond him. That's not criticism. Just didn't look like what Kivio could do. And I should yeah. also say, I thought he was great on the left side of the, the back tree as well. I thought he, with what little he had to do, he did it well. Yeah, I thought he played well. I thought the first 15 minutes, they targeted him a little bit. And mm. I was I was thinking, oh, how is he going to stand up to this? But then yeah, I thought he did really well after that. Uh Yeah. Um, I think you might be right. I think the party thing might be quite an interesting one. Actually, last season, you know, with party playing the way he does, um, more on that right hand side as well, it would have kind of blocked the space for for White to to tuck in and invert next to him as well. So maybe that 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 might be more of a that could well be a reason. Did you see Tierney's interview with Sid Lowe in the Guardian today? Um, really, really good. It if you haven't seen it, I, re- I tweeted it out. I retweeted Sid's um, thing. It's really good. He talks a lot, and he talks about the inverted role and how he struggled, really struggled with it. And how he tried and kept trying to do it, but it just, you know, it was just so alien to him. And he said when he was talking to clubs where he could go to, he said the first thing was he said to him, What are your plans for left back? What do you want me to do? <laughs> and he was so he said he was so delighted when Saucy Dad basically said, We wanted you to be a left back, a natural left back. So he's like, Great, I'll do that. Um but it's yeah, it's so really curious. interesting. It's a really good a really good interview, actually. Go go and have a read of it. It's it's well worth your time. I, I'm fascinated as to what makes it so hard because he, Someone like Kieran Tierney, I don't know what like skill it is that he doesn't have. And I mean, bear in mind, he, you know, he he's played a bit of centre back in the left side of a back three. And and I, uh, you know, he he's got very good technical skills. He's quick enough that actually, you know, a lot of the the moments where there's a quick turnover and he needs to get back, you would think that wouldn't make wouldn't he wouldn't struggle with that. But I mean, he's and he's so not the only player in the sport that struggles with this. But it's just yeah. I don't know if you're if you're a left back like Tierney though, and you've done that your whole life, and then you're suddenly asked to come into the really closed, hectic, busy spaces in the middle, where in real sort of high technical play as well. You know, when you've got to move the ball quickly, you know, touch has got to be perfect. I can see why it's a bit of a struggle, and you know, and why you don't really fancy doing it long term. So uh, I can I can kind of see it, but. yeah, I think he's much more. He's much, well. He definitely is much more comfortable doing what he's been doing at Sociedad. Hopefully, he should be back for next week's second leg. By uh, judging by that interview as well, he's still out with that injury Lovely. at the moment. Um, right, last one here. <laughs> I wanted to bring up from Mark. Um, 
who said it was talking about a West Ham game, prompted by some of the West Ham fans booing Declan Rice at the weekend. I wanted to ask what you think about football fans booing and worse players returning to the old club. I may be in the minority. I think you probably are here, Mark, but I find it really mean spirited. Firstly, these are often players who have given a lot to the club and whose sale may have generated important funds. Secondly, at the end of the day, players are professionals earning their living as footballers. Imagine as journalists, a rival publication, Media House, offer you two to three times your current salary to do the same job and possibly in a nice location. What would you do or anyone else do? I know you are going to raise RVP, but the guy left and won the Premier League towards the end of his career. So it made perfect sense for him. Well, as I say, I know I might be in a minority by being so understanding. Um, yeah, I think you're in the market. It's football at the end of the yeah. day. And I don't, I think also it kind of depends how you leave as well. There's a way to leave. And you mentioned RVP. And look, from a football point of view, what the decision he made was the right decision that he made. And what he went on to achieve at Manchester United proved that 100%. But that still doesn't, in my mind, excuse the way he left the club and the way he went about it. And, uh, so, and yeah, I think fans are well within their rights to to boo him for that, and anyone else as well. It is football, it is pantomime stuff. As long as it doesn't go over the top, and you know, we've seen sometimes, you know, Adebayor, for example, that that was pretty brutal. Um, and, but I think there's lots of it. There's, and even at West Ham, to be fair, when he went off, yeah, everyone who was still in that stadium yeah. applauded him. And I think it was definitely with Rice. It was more of a sort of pantomime booing type thing. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't hostile, even when they were booing him. It wasn't like again an Adebayor type thing, or even an RVP when he came back for the first time, or an Ashley Cole, for example. Again, and it's all about how you leave your club at that point, mm. isn't it? And Cole was a prime example, getting tapped, you know, busted, getting um, a private meeting with Jose Mourinho and stuff while he was still an Arsenal player and all that. So it all depends. But the Rice one was definitely, it wasn't hostile. It was definitely more pantomime. And he did get a lot of applause as well when he went off the pitch. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts? Completely agree with you. I think I, I think it's quite rare that, that football fans aren't, aren't reasonably fair-minded about it. Like, you know, you could make the case that Thierry, I mean, Thierry Henry broke a lot of Arsenal fans' hearts by, by not seeing out the remainder of his prime at Arsenal. But he left through the front door. He'd given... Years of great service, and I and I think there was a lot of a lot of respect for him. And of course, you know, he came back and made everyone's heart sing again. But I think you know, even I, 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 it's always going to be on a sort of case by case basis. And I'd have had no sympathy with any Arsenal fan that booed Henri. If I don't remember if he ever played against us as a Barcelona player, he must have. No. No, he didn't. No, no, no. But I mean, I, I can guarantee you, he would have got rapturous applause because. Uh, you know, he gave everything, and um, I didn't. I didn't. He he gave more than he needed to. Someone like Van Persie, frankly, like a lot of his year, a lot of his time at Arsenal was Arsenal helping him deal with his fitness issues. Exactly. A couple of good seasons, and even in the uh, correct me if I'm wrong, even in the summer before he left, there was all sorts of talk about him potentially going. And uh, f- most football fans are smart enough. I think with Rice, it's going to ease. And you, even the chance, the chance for like, you should have signed for a big club. None of them are sort of, you know, you 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 go to any Tottenham game. It doesn't have to be Tottenham against Arsenal, um, and hear the the very nasty things they have to say about Sol Campbell. And I know why that transfer hurts, but get over it. Um, you know, 
it's it's nothing like that. And the rice stuff, I think it's already pretty much healed. They just need to yeah. get a bit of stick. I'll be interested next time Arsenal go there if he even gets booed, to be honest. I think he might get a little bit, but I don't think he'll be anywhere yeah. near well, as much as we've seen in the League Cup game and the League game this season. I think that was, kind suppose... of the, that was kind of, even the way it ended as well with him scoring that goal and then going off, it kind of felt like, a, okay, we've all moved on now. That's that's it. Yeah. We'll we'll go on. And like I said, there was no real hostility there. There's been, and yeah, I mean, it all depends how you leave the club. I, mm. I think and the reasons for leaving as well. You know, he left on a high. Declan Rice had just won the Europe, um, the whatever that trophy is called, Conference League for West Ham. Lifted the tr- the trophy. They understand it. I think the annoying thing was he went to Arsenal. They obviously would have much preferred, yeah. like most people do, just go to Man City, wit, which is a club that everyone kind of just thinks of as re- irrelevant. If you see what I mean, just because yeah. it's City and it's well away from everyone else in London, a team that are expected to win of, you know, unlimited money. You can kind of understand him going there, but for West Ham fans, it's probably annoying seeing him go to Arsenal, stay in London and go to Arsenal. Um, But, you know, it's no more than that. 15 years time, uh, he can go to the London Stadium with Sky Sports or whatever, and he'll just get mobbed. Yeah, yeah. Um, If Ashley Cole, I think Ashley Cole has, and that sort of, that one is inching towards like, yeah, fine, you're here. You were all right, okay. But I mean, that's it's needed Ashley Cole to be retired for about well, kind of an irrelevant player for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, I think it will need even longer for RVP before he can uh, come back to the an antibiotic. But yeah, <laughs> oh, good, never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, mate. Look, we're over the hour mark. I think that's uh that's a good time to wrap things up. Cheers once again. What are your plans for the weekend? I take it you're you're not coming up to Burnley, are you? With uh, oh. me? Oh. Oh. Are you driving or getting the train? I'm driving. Yeah, I always. I hate the trains. I can't deal with trains, mate. Mm. I'm. I always drive. I much prefer it. Just jump in the car afterwards, whack the radio on, hopefully listen to uh, Chelsea beat Man City on the way back. Not have to deal with trains delayed and everything like that. I, I always drive. Always drive. So yeah, looking forward it's to that. Thinking Brentford Liverpool for me, which is well, Liverpool, Bre- Liverpool got Brentford. Oh, that's interesting. Thomas Frank job audition, maybe, maybe. Your mate, your mate, uh, Chavi's uh, going to be heading there, isn't he? Oh God, I hope not. Well, I, know, I think he is. I'd be yeah. very surprised if he's not. All right, everyone, thank you very much for joining us once again, whether you've been watching or you've been listening. Appreciate your time. I'll be back tomorrow. Well, actually, no, I won't. Uh, You'll be back on done Friday. I think I've done it again. I did this last time. I forgot to put the disclaimer. This is probably going to go out on Thursday evening. Um, so again, if you're still watching, listening now, and something big has happened that we haven't spoken about, that's why. Uh, but yeah, I'll be back anyway tomorrow, which will be Friday morning by the time you watch this, to uh react to Mikel, Ar- Mikel Arteta's press conference, which is happening at nine o'clock on Friday. Until then, everyone, have a very good week. James, thanks for joining me, mate. Have a good week, have a good weekend, and I'll catch up with you very, very soon. See you soon. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 